everything's actually working. Sounds going in here, microphone's working, everything's cool, check my Zoom stuff, like God knows what will go sideways. Nothing will. We're going to have a great day today. (laughs) That would be nice. I would like that. I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lane. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy Shit, I Have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. How was your weekend? It was up and down. We went to see part of this old show on Saturday, which I think I might have pushed that to go too soon, but it's it's up for six months, so we can go again and spend more time. But uh, no, it was good. Um, just, yeah, it's just very emotional. Right. What about you? Let's talk about you. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty good. Uh, just, yeah, mostly working. Um, really kind of like, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm really happy with the progress that I've made and I recognize that a lot of the work that I've been doing is in just getting organized and building these systems to kind of like produce more efficiently going forward um, in everything that I'm doing. Uh, but yeah, but I'm still just like, I still feel like I'm kind of spinning my wheels as far as like monetizable work getting done. Um, so I'm trying to at least like tick the box of like, did I at least list a couple of things every day? So like there's potential to sell things or did I at least like get on LinkedIn and look at a couple jobs? Um, Mm. and that sort of thing uh but yeah i'm just like i don't know you know it's really kind of it's it's a place where i have nothing and everything going on in my life right now for better or worse it's like you know there's a lot of potential for things to happen um but also like a lot of kind of stasis right now because of just the state of the world and everything Mm. uh so you know it's kind of um oh shit i'm gonna i'm gonna get gonna get a little bit pretentious here do you know that quote i think it's um uh is it gramsci about like uh the some something about the old world is dying and the new world struggles to be born uh in the the in the interregnum there are monsters (laughs) i don't even know that quote no so uh gramsci was a was an italian communist i think and um and yeah and so that's basically him saying like you know the world should have changed a long time ago but there are forces preventing it from happening and all sorts of fucking horrible things are going on in the world as a result of that tension. And that's kind of, I feel like where I am in my life right now is just like, Mm. you know, I'm, I'm halfway through like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll switch from pretentious to like maybe a little bit, um, I don't know, mystical for a second. Maybe I feel like a bit like a hermit crab. Uh, and I'm like, I've crawled out of that shell that I know isn't big enough for me anymore. And I'm super vulnerable right now and just kind of scampering Mm. along and trying to find that fucking pop can or whatever it ends up being. And I'm not there yet. And it's really scary, but I got to have faith that I'm going to get there. So, yeah. I think that's so well said, Jordan. The hermit crab thing. I hadn't even thought of that. And it's, it's great to know that you know that too. And I definitely feel that like I'm in that in-between kind of place where Uh, Where I was wasn't working, but where I need to go has not yet revealed itself. So I'm just trying to trust the process of it. Yeah, I'm just trying to build. Like, I know that I'm building that and I got it. Like, I I feel like I'm going to get there. But yeah, it's just it's tough in the interim. So the interregnum. (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel you. Yeah, the vulnerable, the vulnerability of it when you don't even know what you're working towards, I think is even harder to just kind of sit with. Like, I I think I've been crying like every day over the last week, not just because of the dental stuff, just that feeling of being super vulnerable. Yeah, for sure. I was was talking to Osvaldo and he said something, but I misunderstood it. And I just, I just like dissolved into tears. I was just like, what's wrong with my brain? Why can't I just understand what you just said to me? Like, why is it so hard? And and he was like, well, you're tired. It's the end of the day. Go to bed. You'll feel better. And I did feel better. But it still bothers me that my brain is um, struggling with the combination of the hearing loss and the ADHD. So it's like the words don't quite land right. And then I assume words because I'm trying to kind of make up. And then, and it's usually the most innocuous thing. Like he was talking about doing a friend's night at the Vancouver Art Gallery, which I knew about, but I thought he was talking about a friend's night, something else. And I got deeply, deeply confused. And it was such a fundamental thing. And like that part is so, um, 
just not, I guess it is distressing still because I, like, I understand now why it's happening, but it still makes it hard in communication sometimes, you know, Yep. when you think you hear something and then you don't, and then you, then you're revealed and it's like, oh, you think I wasn't listening, but I was listening. It's just that my brain thought that that was something else. And it's just like this, it's like a tragedy of errors. It's not even that comedic a lot of the time. Yes. <laughs> like, this isn't funny. I'm trying to understand you. And, and he gets upset. And then when he understands what's happening, we always work through it. But it's just like communications in general have been, yeah, tricky. And how are you, are you finding that any different since coming out of the retrograde? Um, Just a little bit, but not much. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> We're in that shadow still. I guess it's like for another week or something. Because even my email, I'm like, <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I want to learn to be better with email. I think it is. Maybe it's like something I can, I don't know, take some more time with. Like, I know that just checking it a couple times a day works for me when I am able to stick to that. But sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And like the idea of just like reading the whole email thinking about it and then responding is not how I've kind of conducted my life because I've always been in reactive mode. And half the time I respond to an email, I'll go back and go, I didn't answer two thirds of it. Shit. So then I'm sending more emails anyway, you know, and it's just like, I need to learn how to just read the whole email and then go back and like, and construct emails that way too, so that they're accessible to people on the other side instead of like, oh shit, I forgot about this. Oh shit, I forgot. And then sending five emails in a row. That's something that I've like, um, it's interesting because I always knew about myself, especially with email, is that I tend to very long, detailed, perhaps overly detailed written communication. Now that I understand that like, you're a person with ADHD and here are the characteristics that, you know, people with ADHD commonly uh, have. It's like, oh, this is because I literally can't judge what is and isn't relevant information to someone's situation. And I think I talked in like the first episode that that was a big problem for me in my work life was like, you know, I wouldn't be getting as much detail as I wanted. And I would be including too much detail for, you know, some people trying to get information out of me and they want just a dribble and I turn on the fire hose at them because I just, I literally don't know what is and isn't going to be useful to them. So maybe that's partly like, well, I'm not going to say maybe. I'm going to say that is 50-50 me not knowing what questions to ask because, again, I didn't understand that this was a problem for me and a problem about, not not a problem. I got to get, I got to fucking stop saying that. A difference in how my brain works. Mm -hmm. Not a problem, a difference. <laughs> so it's 50-50 me not understanding that and knowing how to approach my end of that and asking for clarification in the right way beforehand, before I kind of get this information back but also half it's half on other people and this is especially I feel like a problem with kind of cross-departmental communication people kind of like with a little bit of an idea what each other do but not really and kind of like I know in the abstract what this thing I need like I can picture it in my head but I don't know how to articulate that to this person who needs to do the retrieval for me or whatever or like answer this question so that's yeah that's like a big thing for me with email and so mm -hmm. I've been trying to stop reacting to that and take that time to like, okay, you got this email, read it, come back to it later before you answer. But then the problem is later is like three or four days when I'm like, oh fuck. And this has happened twice now with paying work this week where it's like, all I got to do is like take 10 minutes to fill out this PDF and send it back. And it just like, I, I can't remember because I wanted to make sure I didn't send three emails in the span of eight minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like you either respond right away with not enough information or think of all the different things and then completely forget about it. And like my inbox is such a hot mess. And I just like, I've let go of any kind of inbox zero things. I'm just mm. like, that's like maybe every three months, like maybe once a quarter or something, I'll just go, fuck it, just delete everything. Cause I'm like, it doesn't matter. And then it'll always be like, I wonder what happened to that email about the thing. And then I can't find it. <laughs> so it's just like so extreme, you know, like yeah. I, I really admire people that I've worked with in the past that are like, this is red, this is great. Everything's color coded. As Aldo does that with his photos. And I just go in and just look until I find it. Like I need to come up with a better system for things. Things. So I think that is going to be part of my my process. It's just right now I'm in the emotional stuff and I feel like that's the priority. You know, I've, yep. got, to, I've got to work through this heartbreak that I'm experiencing. And, and it, it's, you know, it's partly the, like I've said, like the ADHD discovery, but also just in understanding that where you think there will be a lot of good happening in the world is also causing a lot of harm. And that I had a really good conversation with a friend of Osvaldo's about that. She's she's based in Toronto and she may even be somebody who might like to come and talk to us on the podcast. She, um, she was diagnosed with ADHD in university and she's just come through a major cancer experience. Oh, wow. But she, she was talking about things like lateral violence. And I hadn't heard this term yes. before. Yeah. Um, it's in a lot of marginalized 
or, and I guess that happens a lot in nursing, it's like people that take on kind of an abusive stance towards their peers in order to kind of level up or to be perceived as part of the winning team, so to speak. Mm. Um, it happens in Indigenous communities. It happens in places you wouldn't expect it. And, and she'd be the, the a great person to talk to about it because I'm only just starting to get my mind around it. But I was t- talking a little bit about my experience at a nonprofit and she was like, oh yeah, that's classic. Like that's like so many different places you think are going to be this kind of utopia of, of well-meaning people are actually incredibly toxic yeah and so it's just kind of coming to terms with that now like you know the pandemic has been a year like at this time last year I was working 14 hours a day I was exhausted for completely different reasons but we thought we were doing the right thing I thought I was doing the right thing like we were setting up food hubs for people in need that seemed like a really important thing to do mm-hmm. but I was also being simultaneously kind of gaslit and micromanaged by people that were supposed to be my people peers you know um so it's it, yeah that, that, that's a whole thing like <laughs> but i guess that's what i'm going to be talking to my counselor about tomorrow because he's the one who's very very accurately uh pointed to the heartbreak of this you know and i realized we were going to record but we just ended up catching up instead no oh, that's great we are recording leanne is now in the waiting room so i'm just gonna let her in so we can say hi here she is. Hello. Hi. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, a podcast about discovering your neurodivergent in midlife. My name is Jordan Lane. And I'm Robbie McDonald. I'm Leanne. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about yourself. I kind of misled Jordan, but not actually as well. I was like, I also, I mean, I did get diagnosed late in life, but then I was like, I have all this clinical background. I swear it'll be interesting to talk to me. And it's like, yes, some of that is accurate. But like I'm really new, uh, hardcore imposter syndrome, but yeah. (laughs) So I did listen to a little bit of the last episode and you all touched on things that I thought were really interesting. Like something that you all touched on was a bit of the uh, emotional lability is what we call it. It's kind of the up and down when you have ADHD, right? Oh, okay. So Mm. it's kind of like how you be, um, you know, frustrated you can't find your keys, but then all of a sudden, like, you know, you pick up your cell phone, there's a funny text and you're like, what frustrations? I'm laughing now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. yeah, I can I can definitely relate to that. Like, yeah, I go zero to 60 and back so fast sometimes. Um, and especially like when it's something where I just I just need like a, like a 30 second thing. Like if the printer won't work and I need to like just get a package mailed or run out the door like that's that's just that one little tiny thing. Holy shit. Those are the things I get the maddest about. Yeah, it's almost like within a minute you're going to have an up and down of mad sanger. You know, it's like every second, mm. you know, depending on what's going on. But yeah, I realized you asked the question of uh what's up with you and i i just decided i was like is that is that characteristic of adhd already anyway yeah did, did you have adhd or something leanne uh i did get diagnosed late so i'm 33 um i got diagnosed around 30 i want to say um and so it's funny uh, i mentioned to you jordan that i had not really done anything for research for the show but i did decide to read the dsm today and the actual mm. adhd diagnosis and symptoms well that's an adventure i've been hearing all kinds of mixed reviews of the dsm do tell us more well something i I like to think about the DSM is some people treat it like a Bible, right? Like if you have this, then how do I say we treat it A, B, and C. It's I it's this new DSM. They try to kind of, how do I say, be a bit more dimensional with it, recognizing that nothing's black and white. Mm, mm. So when I think about the DSM, you gotta kind of keep in mind it's it's almost like an interpretation or a shorthand for like people to try and figure things out. But I was just thinking, like, because being caught in late life, this is kind of what the show is about. It's one of those, oh my god, I wish I'd known this earlier. This probably would have saved me so many challenges. like medications, etc. And it's so funny, I do have those regrets. And I think the reason that I wasn't caught was one of the big things is people with ADHD, or at least that's tested and caught, is they'll have more difficulties with functioning in school and work, right? Those are typically mm-hmm. the places I thrive. Where I dysfunction is my personal life. Ah. Uh. So I don't know if you folks have some thoughts on that, but that's kind of, that was kind of it. I always excelled at work. I was always someone who worked really hard. I like to do a lot. I could focus. I could hyper focus but my personal life was where kind of all my messiness was so I started counseling in my late 20s I was just curious if it was uh, through your counselor that you that you made the discovery was that the person who kind of cued you into it based on what you were sharing in your personal challenges not exactly so Mm. I worked in accessibility for a long time and we had these screeners 
So for um, so it's at a university and the screeners were like just general questions that like, is there possible mood stuff going on, attention stuff, anxiety, etc. And like, I filled it out one day, you know, just to see what it's like for them. And then I like, so it's a pre-screener, nothing diagnostic, <laughs> but I, I screened pretty high on a few things. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and so like. Keep in mind, this is after I graduated from my first degree and I actually like I finished an honors thesis like I. Wow. Well, it was hard as hell. Like I broke down multiple Congratulations. times. Mm. Thank you. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. So I remember when I showed it to my uh, supervisor, she was like, well, you uh, you got through that degree then. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of the question of like, how does this impact you now? And I was like, eh, good question. I don't know. And I don't know what you folks think, but I think for many years, I kind of internalized a lot of self-blame for things, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of that, like, how do I say this? You know, like, oh, I, I just screwed up because I'm a screw up. Yep. You know, it's not like I have ADHD or a mood or any. It's just like, I'm just a screw up and I just need to do better and be less of a screw up. And, you know, after years of trying that hard, it's like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. maybe I should seek other answers. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm not just the screw up so yeah turns out i'm not just a screw up <laughs> so the the language that we've been using on the show for that uh is something that i cribbed i want to say i cribbed that from that book driven to distraction but they refer to it as the moral dimension Ooh. but it's that it's that idea of like moralizing these things that you later find out are like you know involuntary they're they're part of how you are neurologically a different person not a, a behavioral defect or like some sort of lack of moral standing mm. and so so yeah so, so that, that that's kind of like the way that I've been articulating that idea to myself uh, and I think that's a really been a really valuable lens for me to understand it through yeah so, um, shoot, there was something I was going to ask you about specifically that we came. Oh, yeah. So your, your, your work, you were saying that, like, that was a place where you really excelled um, and, and functioned well in uh, and that that's something that's not that common for ADHD people. So it sounds like your, your work was involving uh, reviewing information gleaned through, like, clinical surveys, like intake surveys. Is that correct? So, yeah, it was intake. So it's actually here's the thing. I worked in a place where my skills thrive, which is I love people. Yes. And I love talking. And not only that, it was accessibility. Like these people don't, and I wouldn't say they don't care, but like if you are, you know, kind and like do your work and I guess they're also understanding if I had a bad day, right? Like, I mean, okay, so it was a bunch of psychologists I worked with, so... There should have been a few things that clued me in, but they were super great. They like I really have uh, like I keep in touch with a lot of them still because that office has been so uh, helpful. But yeah, it's, it is a place for my skills thrive. If I so I have done a job. I only lasted three months where it was you sit at your desk and you do paperwork and do calls. That actually that was the worst thing for me. I was getting up constantly. I was fidgeting and I was just like, oh, this job's just like not a fit, which it wasn't. But also because it was just horribly mundane monotonous mm -hmm. what's up yeah I just I, I could just feel the pain and I've just I have I have that experience of that too of just feeling like just anything to kind of give your brain a little stimulation in those kinds of rote things where it's like repetitive and you're expected to be present at your desk for no other reason than others that somebody else's insecurity they just need to see you there <laughs> that's exactly it someone else's insecurity yeah yeah and I found I just, you know, like a child got up to the washroom like way more than I probably like. And no one yep. reprimanded me because I'm an adult, but mm. it definitely like you just get up because you don't want to sit there. It's too painful. Yeah, I really appreciate what you what you said, too, about you thriving in environments where you could be in relationship with other people, where you could be having conversations throughout the day. And that, and that the environment was, um, it sounds like it was quite a, a, not nurturing, maybe that's a little bit too soft of a word, but a respectful environment where you felt that. Understanding. Understanding. Yeah. 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 Um, and if it. Because I mean. Go ahead. And I was just going to say, even like, like the clients are, or they technically the students, they were people with also some form of disability that's usually diagnosed. Or if not, they had concerns, they had one. So they're already kind of in that place to at least contemplate like, okay, there's something going on. <laughs> like. So yeah, I think there it was a place that with more understanding. So and I, I don't think certain offices would necessarily bill for that, I guess. Yeah. So is is your um and I'm forgive me for not understanding like your your career um path because I didn't find out that much about you online. <laughs> like in the sense you'd like to keep things private and that's great. Um but so you do uh, counseling undergrad or so, like how did you end up in that kind of setting? Oh my gosh, you're right. I still have gone and bunches. I didn't tell you much about me. All right. <laughs> so 
I, okay, graduated from university 2010-ish. Anyways, I have a Bachelor of Arts majoring in philosophy, honors degree. So that's another thing. Like I majored in something that I really like liked, right? Involved a lot of discussion, debate with people. I worked at the university for a long time um, and in accessibility and also like recruitment, which is like doing presentations and stuff. So like the jobs I've had is always... I guess, characteristically involved, like talking to people, allowing to kind of have big energy. And that worked for me. And yeah, right now I'm finishing a master's in uh, social work where my focus is clinical. So I am looking at things like disorders, neuroscience, also like spiritual stuff. Mm. Like, sorry, it's a weird gig. Like I heard your last podcast where you have your friend who's the uh, social worker. Uh, and it's like, yeah, that's, it's a, it's a gig where you kind of do a little bit of everything. So, yeah. And where compassion is fundamental to it. And it sounds like you have that, you know, like, I think that's just such a, a big part of it. I mean, you would hope, um, people (laughs) that I know that are good at it, I should say that the people that are good at it, that, that, uh, that are actually helping people. That's been the the trait that I've noticed. And and most of my long-term friends are social workers of some kind. It's kind of (laughs) interesting. Oh, that's interesting indeed. When you took, so what were you going to say, Jordan? No, I was just going to say, it's also a big part of ADHD, that that empathy. But yeah, fi- uh, I was going to ask another question, but uh, finish your thought there, Leanne. I already forgot it. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. <laughs> Genuinely don't remember. <laughs> like, I'm sure it's good once we review it. No, totally. Um, so I, I was where I was going to uh, pivot on that, though, was that... Um, So that empathy, of course, is something that I have found to be a characteristic about my personality that has really strengthened my relationships and my personal relationships. And so I'm curious kind of if you're if you're interested in talking about that, obviously, you know, no pressure if it's like personal or painful. Um, But, you know, you you were saying that where you found that ADHD has impacted your life the most is kind of in your personal relationships. And that's been the thing that you felt like hasn't worked as well. No relationship to self and others. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, It's not the case that I'm lacking in empathy. It's the case of uh, too much empathy. No, that that, that's not what I said at all. I know. Um, I, I, I think there's a deduction that could have been made right like so that's why I kind of pointed out like I think with empathy right it's kind of like one of those things like well what happened to you to have this empathy was it natural I sorry Anyways, I'm getting like a little bit off track, but in this no, no, no. I I want you to get back on that track that you were veering off into for a second. But where does empathy come from? Let's let's fucking dig into that philosophy. Holy shit! That's I like a part of me. Like I've questioned where empathy comes from. Right? There's a bit of experience that goes into it. There's like that level of understanding. Right? And again, this is. Like, I'm very biased right now. It's not like I've read much about empathy. It's more so the case that for some reason I have it. And Mm. hmm, I'll explain this in a second. I have it. How do we come by it? And I guess the other thing right now is I'm trying to teach empathy to people. Me too. And how do you teach empathy, right? How do you? And it also involves people looking at their pain and being like, this is pain. And you also have to recognize that in other people to be like, that is pain for you. So to be honest, like where I was kind of veering off is I think that high empathy which is, you know, not achievable by all. And some people maybe even arguably have too much. That's a whole boundary conversation. <laughs> I was actually just going to say, I think trauma plays a hand in it. Mm. Right? I would agree Traumatic with that, experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is, you, you've, you articulated that so, so, so well. And that's, and that's been a big part of it for me is um, having, having the sympathy for myself to recognize myself as like, you know, um, a person who has a different experience of the world than typical people, neurotypical people, especially. Um, but yeah, but, but, but also where I've really grown, I think in the last year um, is in that empathy, extending that towards people. And when I can't recognize where, where I've been previously unable to recognize their pain as pain because they don't articulate their pain in the ways that I articulate pain. I'm not a person who gets angry. I'm not a person who lashes out at people. I'm not a person who, um, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, is, is, is negative with other people about that stuff. And I'm recognizing now like traits in people that I don't like people in my life that like, okay, I don't like this person and I've been able to unable to understand why and it's like oh shit I recognize now that this person probably has ADHD too or this person maybe has like a little bit of autism like they're somewhere a little bit on the spectrum and it's like okay I can see now how that thing that I reacted to poorly was an expression of pain that I was unable to recognize as such and that's really changed the way that I approach those people and understand those relationships 
even though I already considered myself like a very empathetic person, maybe too empathetic. So that's been interesting. That is interesting. This has been a big year of change. Actually, since I've met you, it's been change, change, change. Yeah, for sure. So interesting. And that's, I was like, going to come back to that earlier and then I forgot um, that, uh, yeah, so, so, so you figuring out that you have ADHD, that's been within the time that you and I have known each other because you and I haven't known each other that long. Correct. Uh, and I only started medications a couple years ago. And even so, I struggled with it because I was like, oh, I don't believe it. Like, I'm clearly just kind of like, how do I say? I just have some issues I still need to figure out. And uh, yeah, they definitely do resonate with the ADHD. Like, I sought out the diagnosis, right? Mm, mm. Um, And even like my therapist was like, yeah, I could. I think it would be inattentive type. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds right, you know. (laughs) But a part of me was like, am I just playing her, you know? Like, do I believe this? Like, if I could just fucking focus, maybe I should try harder at focusing. Like, that mentality stays with you for so damn long. This pandemic, and I'm sure you two have experienced it as well, this pandemic's really been like, oh, holy crap, attention is not easy. No, it's not. And and, um, it's funny that we would even have imposter syndrome about our own neurodivergence, right? Like, we question it. and, And I've said this in the past, that I always thought it was just a matter of me being deeply flawed and lacking in character and if I really just set up a spreadsheet and like set you know into <laughs> the whole thing I'd be fine but you can't right like that that's the thing and and the pandemic did sort of force um a lot of us or for me definitely that's just when I I discovered it is because all the things that I used as my coping strategies were stripped away. Yes. So um, it was no longer just like get up. And I, I was in this kind of like rote schedule working at a busy nonprofit. I was up at 630 in the morning. I worked until sometimes eight o'clock at night. I was just too busy to even notice that I wasn't focusing through so much of that right. or that so much of it was impacting me. Um, I guess masking is a thing too. Like we spend a lot of our times just pretending that we're, you know, well, she looks that way. So I'll just nod and do that, you know? Um, yep. <laughs> and the pandemic took all that away. Right. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to hear you, to hear you acknowledge that, that you, you question your own neurodivergence. Like I'm, I know there's so many different ways of naming it these days and I know as I learn more about it, it's like some folks call it a disability, some folks call it mental difference. And it's, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on that too. Like, it sounds like three years into this, you're still sometimes wondering, hey, am I, am I just not trying hard enough? Which is not accurate. That's no, that's a great question because labeling is a little bit of the issue because it's like, even though like, you know, kind of using that like critical lens of like, this is just a theory we developed. These are just symptoms. There's environmental, there's like physical, you know, like there's just so many things that make up a person physiologically that like, Mm -hmm. even though there's brain scans, there's medications, like there's still things we actually don't know a lot about several disorders actually. Like it's, and I have some friends who are going to med school and basically it's like, do we have enough research to kind of proceed? Cause we don't have any cause and effect of anything. Like we have <laughs> just correlations of stuff almost like, and I'm exaggerating a little bit here. So anyways, what was the point I was going to make with that? Oh, with the ADHD label, mm-hmm. there's a part of me that's like, is this part of my identity? Is this who I am? And I, I think that's a big one for me when it comes to, I guess, life. Um, strict Asian family. I'm going to go ahead and speculate some uh, personality disorders in my family. <clears throat> cough, cough. Uh, so, you know, there's there's what we would describe as, I think, like emotional abuse. And sorry, this is like a heavy topic, but I have heavy conversations every day. So it's almost a little bit of a norm. So somewhat apologies. Somewhat. No, don't. This is a place for those kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. So. If you want disturbing, I'm right here. As you said, that empathy comes out of trauma. So fucking. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, where I was going with that is essentially like when you're not, how do I say when you're, when you don't have technically an identity, cause you're wrapped up kind of like in masking, right? It's actually mm-hmm. a great example. Looking at others, like there's something about them being an adult that I haven't figured out yet that I just need to do. Mm-hmm. And then this kind of ADHD diagnosis. And I do actually have a mood disorder as well. I would say that one's in remission now. Um, it kind of, it kind of became like, oh, I'm disordered. I'm broken. I'm fucked up. I'm continuing mm-hmm. that narrative of fucked up, even though I can intellect intellectually say, okay, I have these things. I have all these other things. Right. But emotionally it was like, all right, broken. 
Got it. This year's been really beneficial in kind of changing some of that. And I, it, it's because I think I, like, again, very new clinical social work student. Like, this is my practicum year where I actually have to counsel people. And I love it. And it's been also telling of how not broken we are. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, like, I'm working with some people with some really significant trauma. And it's just been very eye-opening into the regard of, like, well, this person technically should be broken, but they're really not, right? Like, and we can even move them towards even healthier ways of coping. Mm. And so it's like, oh, okay, that's actually like, that's, that's kind of who I am, right? Like, these are just symptoms. I'm going to sound really weird. These are symptoms of the disease. That's the world. Yeah, right. Okay. I don't know if that's too broad, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's. Okay, now you you probably know more much more about this than I do, but that that sounds like kind of you know like 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 a Marxist understanding of the causes of this stuff is like that it's a function of the society that you come out of. Mm. Well, it's funny because you had mentioned the word moral. Sorry, what's the f- dimension? Moral dimension, yeah. Because and I loved it because I actually hadn't heard that before. Because I was thinking this is like a result of internalized capitalism, mm. right? Mm. This self blame. This you are the producer. You know, you work, and if you don't work, you are worthless. Yeah. So it's like that's why I thrived well in school and work, but my personal life completely dysfunctional. So many failed relationships. So. <laughs> yeah, the work was more part of your identity because that was something that you had like quantifiable results in too, right? Like. You exactly and get that feedback because I find that that's something I'm really noticing if I don't get immediate or um, uh, clear feedback on something then it becomes less um, I don't prioritize it yes right? that's actually a great way to describe that yes and it almost feels like this is the important thing because my identity it revolves around this and basically someone else telling me okay, you're real and this is who you are, right? You know, like, and like, that's even the therapist role, technically. You're real and this is who you are. But then it's like, holy shit, when you kind of get past that, you're like, oh, maybe I can define myself. And what the hell is that? Like, (laughs) so yeah, sense of self is really important. I think also, especially for ADHD. Yeah. It's been interesting for me too, to like kind of, um, yeah, because cause, cause even before the ADHD thing, I still, I understood myself as a depressed person and I still had a kind of like a, a lot of thoughts and a lot of unsurety, uncertainty, that's the word I'm looking for, <laughs> about um, about uh, 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 claiming the label neurodivergent as, you know, as a depressed person, because it's like, well, this is something that I've suffered with, uh, lived with, whatever language you want to use since I was a teenager. And like, you know, it's definitely a significant part of my life, but I was still reluctant to take that mantle on because it's like, well, no, you're like, you're like, you're like fake disabled. Like you're, you're <laughs> oh fine God. if somebody fake doesn't shovel disabled. the curb. Like, fake disabled. It's not, it's not real, dude. Like you're okay. And it's like, well, no, fucking come on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, so, so, so that's been part of it is, is this sort of tension between like, do I claim this identity because it helps me understand, it, it gives me a lens to understand myself through and also a context that's more forgiving for myself. But then mm-hmm. the flip of that is I don't want this to be solely my identity. And I also don't want this to be a fucking again. And this is this is maybe that imposter syndrome again. I don't want this to be an excuse to hang my fucking failures on when they're like there are, I'm going to say, instances in my life where I objectively could have tried harder at things and just didn't. And like mm-hmm. maybe part of that was like, you know, not getting the rest that I needed to or whatever. But I feel like I just don't want to I don't want to lean on. Oh, but I have ADHD every time I like, you know, didn't do something or or like try and push through that last little leg of something because I am so good at getting things 80% finished and not wrapping up that last little bit. So yeah no sorry it's just i have so many opinions but also no opinions at the same time (laughs) um anyway i because it's you make such a great point right it's like there are times that i probably could have done better i can't say everything is this diagnosis or then Mm -hmm. i can't take any accountability again coming to that even that sense of self right it's like if i can't take accountability i have no sense of self and i just let these so-called disorders run my life then nothing changes Mm. i don't get better yeah and that's fucked up but i do want to challenge this kind of idea of like i could have tried harder okay right i'm listening like i'm always willing to hear a more fucking forgiving understanding of myself (laughs) 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 tell me it wasn't my fault well i mean keep in mind i do it constantly i actually had this yesterday because i had two sessions with clients and then I was like, no, nah, I could have done better. Should have read mm. him better. I clearly should know what they're thinking as mm. like someone who's been doing this for like four or five months. 
Uh, and then after I kind of had this moment where I'm like, did I do the best that I can? And I was like, oh my God, I did. Anyways, I'm going to pull up the term um, that I wanted to share. Awesome. Um, Allostatic load. Yes. Have you guys? I'm reading yes. about it right now. John Cabot's. You're reading. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, allostatic load is the wear and tear on the body, which accumulates as an individual is exposed to repeated, sorry, repeated, repeated or chronic stress. Mm. It represents the physiological consequences of chronic exposure. Blah, okay. Anyways, that's boring now. Uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> I know I was like, I could continue. Does anyone care? Anyway. It's, it's that repeated stress and like how and something that you might have experienced with your recent experience in counseling as well is, oh, suddenly I have more energy to do things and to live within my values and to move myself towards these things I want. Right. Yeah. And that's it. What, what's been interesting, too, is kind of um, not only the big ways in which understanding that I'm different and trying to reorient my life around that. So not only the big things like trying to make my career um, and, and, and my way of making a living for myself more kind of in flow with how I like to live and where my energy goes, but just things like recognizing that even the sort of domestic aspects of it too, like, you know, why it, is it actually important to me to fucking eat five different dinners five days a week. Like, no, and it never has been. <laughs> and I would way rather like batch cook something on Sunday and eat the same salami sandwich every day for lunch and the same, you know, uh, uh, pasta and bolognese every night for dinner for a week. Like that is just fine by me. If I've only got so much energy, like I'm happy to pull my weight, but you know, you might be eating the same thing for a little bit. Like, I hope that's okay. <laughs> mm, I was like, when it comes with relationships, that's because I haven't been doing that scene in a while. Because for me, I'm like, oh, I'm living with my value system. So it is like maybe just eating spaghetti for five nights a week. <laughs> right. When you bring another person who's into it and who maybe is not neurodivergent or what knows, like just different persons. I'm like, I do not have that experience. <laughs> mm. Well, at least right now. Right now, I have before. I totally forgot what I was going to say. When I felt like you were challenging uh, what Jordan was saying about yeah. about how he right. could have tried harder. Because I like saying it as ADHD is not an excuse; it's an explanation. Yes, the accountability is still in there, right? Um, but it's yeah. yeah, it's not that uh, it's not for lack of effort. It's not for lack of effort. Yes, actually. Thank you for tying us back in. I appreciate that. I even messaged Jordan, like, I've been a hot mess lately, so, like, expect me to be kind of exceptional. Like, all my focus is happening later. Anyway, um, with the allostatic load, okay, and mm. this whole, like, I should have done better, I should have tried harder. Mm. Has anyone ever, like, talked to you, too, that maybe laziness isn't a real thing, but laziness is also a human, like, construct that we've created to blame ourselves? Well, I've started following, and they... Um, that's their whole jam. They wrote a book called Laziness Does Not yeah. Exist. Yes. And love it. I'm fanning all over them right now and waiting to get that book because I think it's going to be a bit of a game changer for me because that's definitely the laziness piece is something that it was messaging I got all through my education and then in jobs and everything. And so I'm still kind of undoing that piece mm. uh, with the, work, the help of John Kabat-Zinn. And I've just been reading that chapter <laughs> about the allostatic load uh, so I'm really interested to hear what your perspective is there, like how to how to kind of untangle that laziness narrative that maybe is more insidious than what we realized. Oh, that's such how oh, I'm fond of you for thinking I may be untangling it. <laughs> I'm mostly bringing it up because mm. I've read it like a couple colleagues of mine sent me articles on how laziness doesn't exist. And it got me kind of thinking about allostatic load, mind body connection and mm. capacity. And so I'm throwing out all these kind of like cliche terms right now for a reason. And I think a great example is me in grad school right now in a pandemic. And like, this is everything I love to learn. Like I'm doing like readings of like the therapy books, even like outside of my own normal course readings, right? Does that mean I'm on top of my stuff all the time? Absolutely not. Like I love the stuff. I love the education. I love the reading. I'm loving having these conversations. But does that mean I have the ability to work bloody constantly? Mm. Hell no. Like, and it, for me, it comes down to capacity. And I'm at that point where I'm like, do I have the capacity to do this? And it's like, no, I don't. 
And I think we need to be more forgiving of ourselves in regards to our capacity, especially if we've experienced trauma. Yeah, actually, if you've experienced any painful experience, trauma, divorce, loss, grief, etc. Because, like, just, again, I come back to that, like, I guess, Marxist lens where I don't think society necessarily fits all of us, right? Mm. I think... Like, I think we're still kind of cavemen. And this is something I talk about with my therapist. She identifies as like an evolutionary psychologist. Oh, no. I know. It's. Oh, no. It's her thing. But it's still the case of like, I don't know how loose she is about it. But like, it's still the case of our capacity can be diminished, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how you folks feel about a 40-hour work week. I don't know about you folks, but I'm depleted. I'm supposed to somehow make a new dinner every night, pump my partner, read a book. go to the gym right like <laughs> you've got to be fucking kidding right i can barely do the 40 hour work week let alone all those other things <laughs> <laughs> so and like i don't think it's because i lack energy you know because mm. the thing is i'm interested in all those things i would love to have the energy to go work out go to the gym do a 40 hour work week hump my partner you know like those things but i think we got to be realistic that mm that's a, like a function of our society. And the people who do have the energy to do all those things, I question whether or not they're running from some significant emotions. Uh, yeah, it's a form of sort of chronic distraction from dealing with the existential dread, right? Like yes. if I'm just constantly Thanks. busy, I'll never have to face this, right? Yes. And then it's emotional repression, toxic positivity. Oh. And then you folks haven't read Gabor Mate, the uh, one, the body... With the, when the body keeps the score. Oh, no, fuck. Sorry. I was thinking of the other guy. When the body says no, but when the body keeps the score is a good one, too. Yeah. And when the body says no, uh, scattered That's minds. Uh, scattered minds. Yeah. I've, yeah. Got, I've, got, I've yeah. got a little Gabor Mate uh, collection and waiting eagerly for his hotly anticipated new book, which should be coming out this year. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a new one. Uh, all about Thank compassionate you. inquiry. I'm so excited. Anyway. Oh, that does sound good. I would love to hear your thoughts on that because I get a, I'm, I'm definitely a, a fangirl. Oh, <laughs> but the trauma stuff, right? Yeah. The painful experiences, how they kind of take us take us under or looking even at what they call a scores adverse childhood experience scores mm. it's out of 10 and it's like you can look it up online they'll give you all the questions and anyone who scores four or higher they typically have these incredibly higher chances of chronic illness mm. migraines wow. pulmonary heart disease cancer and that seems kind of weird right i'm sorry as you read like the gabor mate or when the body keeps a score or you kind of start learning more about like trauma and how childhood experiences can really i guess put simply can really fuck us up <laughs> Yep. Right. You got to You got to be a little forgiving. Like when your mailman's maybe freaking out for some reason, it's like, all right, like this was probably a bad day and you got to go walk, like walk around for another eight hours. I don't know. For me, it's been really helpful in kind of cultivating a more empathetic stance with people. Right. That You don't know exactly how many layers that they're dealing with and what they're dealing with at home. And yeah, that's I think that's a really excellent way of looking at it. Um, I have a personal question. Sorry. <laughs> you no, just you were saying like looking at it, but it's like the layers, right? Have you two ever had the experience where you're in a therapy session and something completely not in your conscious mind or even subconscious mind, but something just comes out and you're like, where the hell did that come from? And then you find this like repressed memory. Mm. Honestly, no, I, I, am almost maybe too hyper deliberate in how I use that time because Ooh. it is so fucking expensive and Fair. I have had so little money coming in. And so it's just like, I, I, I'm coming with my notes. I'm doing so much more preparation than I am for like any other area in my life because I'm like, this is $200 an hour. I need to like <laughs> come with my <laughs> shit. Correct. <laughs> oh, I love that eagerness though. And that like work. Because, you know, I'm working with court-mandated clients. They're not that eager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're great. It's not, they're not choosing to be there necessarily, right? That's a, no. Yeah. And n- none of us can fucking get the help we need until we're ready to go there on our own. And, you know, it's just like I, you know, the, there, there's, there's changes that I've known intellectually that I needed to make for years that I didn't make until the last 15 months because mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to make them yet. And so you can't, you can fucking mandate people to do whatever, but until people are ready and until they come to that place of their own volition, you're not going to fucking get through myself included. I recognize that. So I don't know. Yep. That's my opinion. I would not disagree. I've had, I would say some luck in the sense that I'm like, 
nice. Mm. So it's been it's been deepening. But yeah, I mean, in some cases, I can see it being the case where it's like, all right, we talk, you go away, live your life for 10 years, and then you might return not to forensics, I hope, but like, mm. you know, some type of counseling, because you realize yeah. there's more going on. And like, that's probably going to be me too. What was the original subject? I apologize. Oh, we were talking about if anything from your conscious or subconscious had ever come up in a counseling. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm working with an existential therapist right now. So it's a whole Ooh. new thing for me. But as of yet, I haven't had what the experience that you described. Um, he definitely pointed to some things that I hadn't thought of, which has been really great. And I like, and I love his philosophical approach to things too. But yeah, I'd like to hear if you have had that kind of experience, or if it was just a question that came to you. Or yeah, I had the experience this past summer, mm. and it's a big surprise because I feel like I'm someone who's genuinely quite aware of mm. at least myself generally. And yeah, it really took me by surprise because I've been working with this person for a few years. She had made the comment that I, I made a comment before I left. And like, I didn't really think anything about the comment. It was regarding some like parental stuff. And then I was like, oh, I don't think I'm, that's weird that I would make that comment anyways. And like had no, and then as we were kind of encountering, like, yeah, there was just some kind of like childhood pain that I had never really worked through. And like, it just came up and I was just like, holy crap. And I was like crying and blubbering. It was actually, it was quite intense. It was, uh, it was also like really interesting. So yeah, when I guess, when I think about the layers of people, I'm just curious what else there's always under, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think I would like to say that I think therapy and counseling should be normalized over the lifespan. Mm -hmm, I agree. I don't think it should be so inaccessible and expensive. And I don't think there should be any stigma attached to talking to somebody who understands our emotions and how our brains work, because we're not taught that in school. And half the times our families are, you know, in their own forms of crisis and incapable of providing that safe space for us, you know, Mm -hmm. and that can also mess with our identities if we're doing a little bit too much of that too close to home. Right. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, anytime that I can, afford it i've been uh reaching out to counselors because i know i'm untangling some pretty messy threads in my life but i just think it's yeah i think it should be something accessible to more folks and that it should be readily talked about and not necessarily by oligarchies like bell media (laughs) that's just my opinion about them but you know like i would just rather it just be something you could say yeah you know i was talking in therapy today and it's no big deal you know, it shouldn't be something that we have to hide. I, I think that, um, you know, again, may, maybe this is a Marxist lens on it. Uh, I, I think that the the normalization comes with the accessibility. If you nationalize uh, uh, psychiatric, or, I don't know, what, what's the word, mental health care, mm-hmm. um, and people can afford because it's free to go once a week and and talk about their shit with people or once every two weeks or whatever they find useful. Like when everybody can do that, like freely, the people who know that they need it are going to take advantage of it immediately. And they're the people like the three of us that are already talking about this shit. And then, yeah, the the, the people who don't, who, who, who would never think to access it because they just simply don't have the resources are the people who really need it. And that's, yeah unfortunately the people who are least in the position to get it so. mm-hmm. well and if they do eventually get it it's because they're hospitalized in a forensic setting homeless and like you yes. know there's like you basically have to hit rock bottom arguably before you can because i mean the, there's people who can afford it then there's the people where it's like those public services exist for but there's this huge gap in the middle yep mm-hmm. and that I, I agree it doesn't make sense to me um and i was fortunate that i was working at a university and there was coverage for psychological services because mm-hmm. i wasn't gonna go like i knew i had things to kind of work on but much like jordan i was like well yeah <laughs> later you know like that's that's not an insult it's one of those things where it's like i don't know when i'm gonna be ready and and not only that so there's okay let's just even say there's the issue where therapy is accessible like there's that but then there's also the other issue of finding the therapist who works for you yeah right i mean prior to the psychologist i met where i've had a lot of benefits i had met with probably about i think six counselors previously Mm -hmm. wow yeah clearly didn't work out that well yeah it took me like four just this year alone it took me going through four different folks before i found somebody because i was very attached to working with a female identifying counselor Mm -hmm. but then when i looked and i found this person who's a male but he's got the um the experience and the philosophy that i need to work with right now then it's it's Mm -hmm. a good fit for me and you know so you know that that was a big deal for me actually to finally find somebody because it was really tough to and I even had people like dismissing the ADHD diagnosis I had one woman tell me that um 
Yeah. Yeah. She was kind of like, yeah, well, whatever. You just need to get better at, what did she say? You need to adapt to the corporate mindset. And I was like, you need to adapt to the corporate mindset. I just wanted, that's your solution. Yeah. That's, you know, just kill my soul a little bit more. Thanks lady. Yeah. Anyway, that was the end of our, that was the end of our zoom counseling. Well, yeah. In, in fairness to that woman, I mean, that session was probably covered by your corporate benefits, so I can see where she's coming from. I did actually have one person to tell me to get a bigger whiteboard. That was her solution. You need a bigger whiteboard in your office. And I was like, this is a joke, right? That, and that was, They're already... that was corporate occupational counseling. That was something different. But yeah, um, well, right? it's so interesting to talk about this with you guys. <laughs> That literally blows my mind. It's interesting to me that I I got along great with the first counselor that I I had. Uh, I went to counseling a little bit as a teenager when my parents split up and then didn't for a long time. But then I got along great with the first person who I went to. But that was also a recommendation for my family doctor. So maybe that was kind of based on her knowing my personality really well. Um, but yeah, the only kind of experience I've had with a medical professional that I didn't like was, um, a weed doctor who was a guy who was like a Freudian, uh, psychotherapist, I think was his like real doctor job. And then he was like, I guess that's not where the money is these days. So he was working at the weed clinic and, and yeah. And so I was just like. I need this to sleep. Renew my prescription, please. And it's just like, are you sure you don't want to sleep with your mom? (laughs) I'm paraphrasing. But yeah, there was a lot of I I was I have never I've, I've never been able to personally relate to, you know, the experiences that women talk about, about this kind of fucking dismissal of their experiences and their symptoms or whatever from medical professionals, except in this one instance where I was like, fuck you, guy. Like, I know my fucking mind won't stop working and this helps and I can get to sleep. Like, fucking sign the form and let me get the fuck out of this miserable office building. Like, (laughs) man, that's just super telling of how, like, generally fucked up our society is right and the thing is mental health not just mental health it's like all health professionals know that they're not supposed to be dismissive Mm. but we can't help and do but do it and sorry i say we because i'm suddenly somehow in that group but i don't at least intentionally dismiss my people but yeah no i've had people historically as well who uh dismissed me right Mm. like it's like oh you're just um you worry too much it's like, oh, okay, well, I think that's an easy solution, right? And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Have you tried meditating? That's a classic. That one actually worked for me in the end. Mm. I mean, I still <laughs> do meditate, but still, like, that is kind of a, that one always kind of bugged me for some reason, but. <laughs> no, me too. And, like, that was part of my refusal to meditate. It's like, I'm sorry, is it just cock and ball answers constantly for you? <laughs> like, do we not talk about real problems or? Sorry, did you just say cock and ball? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't actually. I just made that up, but it sounded good in the sentence, right? Oh, c- c- cock and bull <laughs> is a real phrase. That is it? I like cock yeah. and ball. Yeah. But cock and ball is, is way better. Yeah, I think that uh, one should stick. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> the imposter syndrome's real hard, you guys. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'm not a bad therapist so far. I'm a new therapist, but I'm not bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so you were saying that the, the um, meditation is something that has been effective for you or that you're... yes. I was highly resistant to it for years. I had an ex who always was talking about like how much he appreciated it. And I was just like, you're an idiot. Like there's no science. Like I was so rude. Seriously. I was like very rude. I was like only losers meditate. Like I was so judgmental. (laughs) And I don't even think my psychologist told me to meditate. I think someone mentioned like this sounds good. And like I tried it for only like a few minutes and I struggled with it. But I think one of the voices is like, don't judge yourself as you're doing it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, now I just feel relaxed. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm curious, as someone who has tried literally for decades and failed, how do you two get past the point of just, like, noticing your thoughts and, and just fucking get the, the train off of those tracks? I don't. That never stops. Like, it, like mm. the that's that's the work of meditation is like it, your brain never goes silent like it's not like all of a sudden you're in this euphoric state and i've heard about people that are like you know bliss bunnies that can get on you know they go on these long like i've never had that experience of nothing it's just noticing the thoughts without becoming too fused with them like, mm-hmm. and that's like that's why i'm really vibing on john cabot zinn's work because that's it's very much that and there's no dogmatic 
um, attachment to any kind of philosophy. When you do it that way without it having to be like maybe paying homage to the Buddha, you know, the Buddha's great and everything, but sometimes people don't need that um, religious aspect. So for me, that, that's been that's been the work of it, coming back to it time after time. I'm just going, there's the breath again, there's my thought again, and I'm not the thought, the thought's just happening and the thought's kind of shitty and there it is, but I'm just going to sit here anyway and oh, my thigh's itchy, but I just keep going until the timer goes on. Um, but I'd like to hear what you have to say about that, Leanne, because that's that's the thing is I, I used to think I would arrive to a point where my meditations would be like these fluid, blissy experience. And that's what turned me off. And now that I don't expect that anymore, I'm like, uh, whatever. Even if I'm just sitting still for 20 minutes, it's a bonus. So yeah. it's more like going to the gym and doing your squats. Similar, mm. similar, actually. Because for me, it's uh, I, I do the same thing where you get caught up in the thoughts, but it's like, okay, can I pull my attention away to my breath? Uh, and there's some meditations that really don't work for me. It's funny that we're talking about this because I've been doing one that's called deep concentration. Mm. So like, so yeah, according to mindfulness, it's either like you're very open or you're very focused. Anyway, and I, I say that kind of jokingly because it sounds so wishy-washy. And it, there's a reason it sounds so wishy-washy because I feel like it's such a physical experience, like doing the squats, like going for a walk and not thinking I'm a piece of shit or something, right? <laughs> We're a lot to curse. There was a lot of cursing, right? I like cursing. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is a potty mouth. The podcast is called Holy Shit, I Have ADHD. <laughs> I saw that. Good point. <laughs> so for me, it's been really important because it's the mind-body connection. And again, I'm trying to make this sound less floofy. Oh, okay. I just am connected to my body. That sounds weird. But when you're disassociated for years because of like chronic mood issues and you're like, like, I remember my, my therapist was like, do you feel your feelings? And I was like, yeah. She's like, no, you're thinking about your feelings. I'm like, all right, what do you mean? And like for weeks, I was like, I don't know what this bitch is talking about. <laughs> feeling your feelings. Literally, I was like, I'm smart. I have an honors degree. I was like, what is this bitch talking about? I can think abstractly. <laughs> like, seriously, I wish. And then she's like, it's a physical like sensation. It's somatic. It's in your body. And I was like, okay. And then something disappointing happened with a friend. So I was like, you know what? This is a minor thing. I'll try to feel this. And then, yeah, I discovered feelings. <laughs> I was going to bring that word up, somatic, because we've talked a little bit about somatic therapy a couple times on the show. And my experience with getting touch with my body came through um, starting to do contemporary dance, which then led me to get into like body weight exercise and that stuff. Uh, but yeah, same thing for the first 35 years of my life. I was basically like the Futurama brain in a jar walking around. So. <laughs> yeah, ditto, ditto. It's, uh, it's weird when you find your body, though. Because mm -hmm. it's like, what else is in there? Uh, and I, no, that's actually literally it. I literally like try to feel my body and it's such like a weird concept. Mm -hmm. I, there's nothing. So the way I start and kind of finish my day now is um, doing a foam roll, which was this, this one of the smallest changes that made the biggest difference in the last year. Fo doing a foam roll and then just laying on my back and either kind of stretching or just laying flat for 20 minutes or maybe like doing some little kind of back gymnastics poses with my legs up in the air, just like sitting on my back or whatever, but just kind of like being in my body for a while before I kind of get up and start my day and before I wrap my day up. And it's been such a small change, but it has been so impactful for me to kind of like center myself and be like, okay, like whatever else is going on, you got to take care of this fucking thing too. Mm. So like, you know, if you're tired, rest, if you're thirsty, have some water and those kinds of little things are the things that have been the biggest help overall for my health and my mental well-being so yeah mm -hmm. i love it because it's like i know what the problem is now and i'm actively addressing it and that's actually the reason i meditate half the problem i don't feel my feelings i don't know what's going on with my body i loved what you said there by the way about you're talking about your i guess what your therapist said about you're talking about your feelings you're not feeling your feelings because that was yeah that's like dead my experience too yeah it's a very common thing because we're not really taught how to feel feelings mm -hmm. and certainly um it's interesting because uh you know a, a lot of people have um th this idea of men only expressing anger as a feeling and and for me that's been something where that was something that I didn't express most of my life I've always been kind of like discouraged away from that and mm. discouraged myself away from that and being able to claim that anger and getting righteously worked up about things when it's appropriate to do so has been really kind of like positive and liberating mm -hmm. too um, and not have it be destructive but have it be a catalyzing agent you know what I mean mm -hmm. it can be um, energetic 
anger. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that um, was something that John Kabat-Zinn was writing about in um, Full Catastrophe Living as well, that when you actually express your anger when it's in its real state, it's not rage. There's actual clarity around it. And it can be a really healthy thing when exchanged in in the right way, um, as opposed to like, you know, misdirected anger. That's actually when you're angry about something else, but then you express anger about something else. I don't know if you guys ever do that. I do that all the time with my partner. I'm actually mad about the thing that happened two days ago, but I'm expressing anger in this moment about a towel. (laughs) Yep. That's, yep. Got that one down. And folks, it's almost three. Yes. Yes, I was just going to say we're at three minutes too. So um, one place we didn't touch on was you did or maybe still do, I'm not sure, a podcast called Sports Are Gay with our friend Elaine. Um, mm-hmm. Are you still doing that? And or do you want to talk about anything else you have to plug? I have nothing to plug. Be a good person. We are no longer doing Sports Are Gay. Uh, like classic ADHD, uh, my friend and I, uh, you know, stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Gave up on it. We miss it. Maybe one other day. But yeah, it's been a pandemic life's complicated so mm, sure i wish is. i had anything to plug i would love to see you folks again yes. I, turns out an hour wasn't enough hey yeah. <laughs> no yeah we'll we'll absolutely do this again i, I think. think that'd be great yeah because i'd love to check in on how things are progressing are you in your first or second year of your master's or do you second so i will be done soon nice. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I've really enjoyed this. And maybe next time I'll be a little bit, I don't know, more attentive. <laughs> it, trust me, you were a lot great. This was an absolutely wonderful conversation. Um, really interesting and uh, uh, emotionally open, which I really enjoyed. So thank you so much for your time and, and for being your wonderful self. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you both. Uh, I will keep up. I've been meaning to. Thank you, Jordan, for the emails when they have. So mm-hmm. we'll do this again. Do I just leave and stop recording <laughs> yeah pretty much right. um just go ahead and leave and stop recording and then uh robbie and i'll probably stay and talk shit i mean uh just sort <laughs> oh, of um okay. check in afterwards so yeah. we discuss judgments but we'll go that again okay you both take care and i will send you that recording later okay thanks leanne thank you again so much leanne take care bye, bye. thanks <laughs> that was super great she's amazing <laughs>